0: Living Wisely, Living Well, December 4th. Don't ask yourself, how can I approach my tasks differently? Don't even ask, how can I do them better? Until you've asked first, what is the right thing to do and the right way to go about doing it? Now, right, when Swami uses that word here, he's not talking about industry standard or, um, you know, how to get, how how. how how to look out for number one and get what I want, or the art of negotiation, or anything like that. The word right he's using is in lieu of the Sanskrit word dharma. I mean, I know that's what he means. It's righteousness he's talking about. What is the... Okay, let's, let's work with the word dharma for a minute. Dharma is one of those English words, one of those Sanskrit words that has gradually come into English. And sometimes when... Sanskrit words come into English because the meaning, the Sanskrit meaning is is subtle, it gets kind of uh, diluted in order for us to use it. There are some terrible examples of that right now. The word avatar has come to mean your little cartoon image of yourself or your video game manifestation, whereas the word avatar is actually a, a very holy word and it means a self-realized being who has returned to earth for the salvation of mankind i mean i just don't know what to do about the fact that it's assumed another really mundane meaning in the english language i it makes me feel very much like an anachronism <laughs> to just kind of hold on to things like that my other just favorite word that has entered the english lexicon is the word karma and it was this was actually at least 15 years ago that I saw this, I was in um, a supermarket, and there was a, must have been more than 15 years ago, because there was a rack of books, <laughs> paperback books, and it was, one of them was in the, I believe what was called the Harlequin Romance series, where there were these, there are these all these stories that are happy-ending romances, And they're actually, some of them are not bad books, and I confess to having read a few. They're just love stories, Cinderella-type love stories, where there's obstacles, but then they're always overcome, and it's it's marvelous. So this book, I'm looking at the cover of it, and it has, on the cover there's this woman in a, a revealing gown, but the gown is like the 1700s or something, but it's slightly revealing, and she looks very drawn, you know, in this way. And then there's... One man. There's a picture of one man over here, and there's a picture of another man over here. This is all on the cover, and you can see that she's torn between these two men and doesn't know what to do. And then the, the the copy says, "Was it her karma to be with Philip, or will will her karma take her to Henry like this?" And I thought both. Well, we've arrived. You know, <laughs> karma is a, an understandable word that can be used on the cover of Harlequin romance in the Safeway grocery store. And the other side was, oh dear, you know, here we are. These marvelous, extremely subtle concepts are just being eaten alive. But so be it. That is actually the greatness of English. It will just take words from anywhere it can find them, if, it, if it's going to be useful. So you don't even, um, you don't even put karma in italics anymore, because it's just a, it's an English word. The word dharma is very close. Sometimes people talk about dharma as duty, or even they use the word right action, which is better. But the actual meaning of dharma is that which will which will expand, well, if you're speaking of yourself, my dharma is that action which will expand my consciousness. And so expanding consciousness has to be understood that it's on a spectrum. And it's on a spectrum of where you're standing, what's forward for you, maybe backwards for someone else. The, the example that Swamiji often uses, which, is, which illustrates it perfectly, um, which I'm, you may have already heard from me, but still, it's the right illustration. If, in the middle of his efforts to liberate India through the power of ahimsa, the power of nonviolence, Gandhi decided, I have an international reputation now, I could open a law practice and I could get so rich, and just dropped the whole India thing and opened his office. Everyone would consider that backwards. The man had taken responsibility for a whole nation. He was going to transform the destiny, literally, of millions of people. And if instead he chose his own uh, wealth, of course, that would be a contraction from the selfless, altruistic identification with a far greater reality that he had attained. But if some man who's just been squandering his inheritance and making his wife support him, suddenly gets inspired to go to law school and open a law practice and then ends up working hard and becomes rich, he has expanded his consciousness. So that's why dharma is subtle. You can't just say, it's your duty to hold this job. It's your duty to you know, to live in this house. It's your duty. No. Your duty is to do that, which leads to expanded consciousness. So when Swami says, before you ask how to be creative, how to be original, how even the the most effective way to do this you have to ask yourself what is my dharma in relation to this whatever this is earning money raising children the architecture for the house you're building whatever it might be how can i do this in such a way that it will expand my consciousness and of course that's not a selfish question because expanding my consciousness by definition You know, expanded consciousness means that the ego becomes a smaller proportion of my total awareness. Contracted consciousness is when is is pure egoism. I mean, completely contracted consciousness is pure egoism, where the only and primary reality and the central reality, which takes up most of the space in my consciousness, is me. What's in it for me? In the the character in uh, which I think I believed. I've since learned his name is Pendleton the Rat. Pendleton the Rat, in the marvelous children's book, Charlotte's Web, and in the animated version, Pendleton has one question all the time. What's in it for me, Charlotte? He has no concept of what's the good of everybody in in the barn or wherever they are. It's just what's in it for me? What will I get out of this? And so sometimes if you ask somebody, what's the right way to do this? well, how much money can you make? And that's how it is. In fact, there was a very interesting cycle that happened within the context of Ananda Publications, the company that publishes Swami Kriyananda's books. It's now called Crystal Clarity Publishers. Um, Actually, Ananda Publications, Crystal Clarity, was one of the first in the, quote, new age field to bring out these small books that had a series of aphorisms. Swami, they were, we called them secrets. They were called the secrets books. I use we when I refer to Ananda. I wasn't directly involved. But the, there were secrets books, secrets of happiness, secrets of emotional health, secrets for men, secrets for women, secrets of success, secrets of, for meditation. They're a lovely series of books. And we were actually the first one in that field to start publishing those books. Now there's a great many of them. And they were very successful and they were enormously helpful financially, because they went into the gift market, they gave us money. They're very good books on themselves, they're not throwaways, but the income from that helped support other books that sold less well. So um, we were really riding the crest of that wave, and it was really great. And our, our primary salesman, sales representative, went to the National Booksellers Association convention, and when he was there, one of the uh, big box stores—it was a precursor to Costco, but it had a different name at that time—they wanted to take those books. But the only way they would take them is that if we if we cut off all other distribution channels and only distributed through them, it was a you know it was a gold mine financially, tremendous offer. However, we had relationships with several distributors who had been our, our, our people for a long time and had served us extremely well. And they too, of course, were benefiting enormously from this increased income. And, you know, they were building their business on the basis of us as their client. So our salesman wasn't, just wasn't quite sure what to do, because, of course, our money, the money earned goes for a good cause. So he started asking other professionals in the business, you know, what should he do? Every single person he consulted, as soon as he explained the situation, they asked, how much money would you earn? And of course, the answer was, if it was a big number, then obviously you should throw your friends overboard. And after a few rounds of that, our sales rep realized, basically, the question is, you know, at what price will you sell out your friends? Because if we suddenly withdrew this from them, I mean they would be left in the lurch because they'd also were relying on it just like us. You know, how, what, what, When will you sell out your friends? If the price is high enough, will you do it? So he said, I can't do it, because it's not Dharma. It's not right action. And the principle of Ananda has always been where there is Dharma, there is victory, meaning it may not come out right in the short run but you'll be able to sleep at night and you'll be able to go through your life review after death without any blots on your character. So we didn't take it. We just didn't do it. Because once the question became the principle, then there was no question. It just was the wrong thing. We couldn't do it. And the company wouldn't wouldn't make an exception. You know, they wouldn't agree that we could keep these distributors also. So it was off the table. Never looked back, never regretted it. That's the question you see. What is right? What is really, what will allow me to be able to sleep at night, look myself in the mirror, stand before my children and not be embarrassed, answer their questions when they're teenagers, asking me their own dilemmas about integrity? How will I be able to answer? Speaking of Gandhi, there's an amusing story that was told. A woman brought her child to Mahatma Gandhi and said, and asked Gandhi, to tell her child that he shouldn't eat so many sweets. It wasn't healthy for him. I don't know why they were in that situation. Who knows? And maybe the story is just apocryphal. And Gandhi said, oh, I'd be happy to, madam. Come back next Wednesday, next week, and I'll talk to him. So a week later, she comes back and she presents her child. And and Gandhi says, don't eat so many sweets. It's not good for your health. That was it. That was the total thing. It's so the woman has Gandhi alone and said, why didn't you say it last week? Well, last week I was eating too many sweets. <laughs> and just, I couldn't with integrity suggest it to him until I had, had altered my own behavior. I mean, that's what we thats what we need to be able to do when, when our children, which is a good example, or anyone, or our own conscience in the night asks us. We have to be able to answer honestly it's really, and I know everybody else thinks it's worth it, it's not worth it. Because when you die, you're not going to take anything with you. You take you take 100% what you have is who you are. And believe me, that does go with you. It doesn't die when your body dies. Your body dies, your consciousness, your character, your karma. It sticks with you. It'd be so easy if it didn't. But, our culture, because we're so atheistic and we're so materialistic, you know, if you can get away with it, if you can make it to the grave without getting caught, we have no understanding of the actual nature of life. So people try to make it to the grave without getting caught, not knowing that when you die, nothing happens. And in fact, it's it's I want to say it's even worse than that, because the physical material encasement of our consciousness, Dulls dulls our awareness. Dulls our experience. And when the physical encasement is taken away, all we have is the vibrations, and they're not dulled by the physicality of it. And so we see ourselves very vividly. You know, most of the death and return stories are these beautiful visions of going into wonderful gardens and everything like that, which is also true and mostly true. But they're also less well-publicized stories. And I don't necessarily want to say people go to hell, but people get to experience the consequences of their own behavior. I mean, a couple of famous stories is they get to experience all the pain that they've caused. Or they get to see the negative consequences of attitudes they'd held. One very compelling story was by a college professor who who did who delighted in destroying the faith of any student who came into his class who had any belief in a higher consciousness or a greater reality. He was, he was savage, and he loved doing it, and he'd built a whole career on doing it. And, he, and when he died, he got to see how, how miserably wrong he had been and how, really, the only word I can use, how evil he had been to take delight in destroying people's aspirations and hope. When he came back, He had to completely change his life and career. He lost his job, he lost his professional reputation, and he lost his family, because it was all based on that persona, which he absolutely repudiated. And then, of course, he rebuilt it in a way that gave him far more peace. So this is what we're looking for. So don't ask yourself, how can I approach my tasks differently? Don't even ask, how can I do them better? until you've asked first, what is the right thing to do, and the right way to go about doing it. Joy to you, my friends.